Jumping into week number three of our series. Before I do, yesterday was our first annual serve day. Just got a couple photos to show you. It was an incredible time. So I want to thank everybody that came out yesterday. We had an army of people downtown San Diego serving the homeless as well as other projects going on around the community. So thank you for being a part of that. It was just an awesome day yesterday of just being able to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to our community and really love people. You know, one of the famous verses on Jesus was Acts 10.38. It was his reputation. And it said, he was the man that went about doing good. And I always thought, what would happen if the church began to develop that reputation in the community? You know, we're known for a lot of things as Christians today, but what if, what if Christians really became known for the thing that Jesus Christ was known for, and that was a man that went around doing good, the impact that we would have in our culture and our society if that was our reputation. So thank you for coming out and serving. It was a, it was a great time yesterday. Let's jump right into the message today. Uh, I'm glad to see a lot of our teenagers here today because this really is a challenge for, for all of our single people here today, and I'm going to be talking a lot to you guys, and so I'm glad you're up on the front row right close so that you guys can really get this today because I'm fighting for you. Uh, I really am. This whole, this whole month, I feel like I'm fighting for people desperately, and especially uh, today's message, I'm fighting for some of you. I'm fighting for you even more than some of you are fighting for yourself uh, in this area of your life. Because we have been so lied to and so bought into culture's lie about some of this stuff. And it's messed us up. And, and we really need... And again, we're not fighting so that we can be religiously correct. I want to make that clear. I, I, I'm not concerned about being right. It's not, it's not because I want to be religiously correct. You know, there's a lot of you know, pastors and churches out there fighting to be religiously correct. That's not what I'm doing. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand my motives here. I'm not trying to be right for the sake of being right. I'm trying to help you protect yourself and find rest for your soul and discover life and peace. And I know if you keep buying into the world's way of doing things, you're going to keep ending up frustrated, broken, and hurting inside. But if you'll buy into God's way, there's so much peace and love and joy and, and just life through just buying into God's way. So let's, let's jump into it today. Uh, again, the theme of the series is we have a culture that is just becoming aggressively uh, against our values as Christians. I mean, it's just going as far away from what we believe as you can possibly imagine. And very similar to our foundation text is in 1 Corinthians, Paul's Paul was a church planner. He would plant churches in that, that kind of ancient Near East part of the world. And, and one of the churches he planted was in a city called Corinth, which is modern-day Greece. And of all the cities uh, that Paul planted churches in, Corinth resembles America more than any one of them. For a couple reasons. One, it was very morally corrupt. They were famous for their sexual perversion and sexual idolatry. It was where the, the temple of Aphrodite was, where they would worship at church through prostitution. It was financially wealthy, very wealthy and prosperous city, very much like America when you compare our nation to other countries and other, other places in the world. And then the last reason is they were intellectually arrogant. They just thought they had all the answers. Like, we know better than everyone else, and we're, we're smarter now, and we're, we, we've advanced and evolved, and we're progressive, and, and, and we now know more. And those ways are outdated, and they're old-fashioned, and they don't work anymore, and that was, that's very much like America today because we think, you know, I know we say in God we trust, but we really don't anymore. We really don't buy into God's way of doing things. In fact, our, our culture today is actually now saying that the Bible needs to be updated to reflect the culture that we live in because the principles of the Bible are now becoming culturally offensive. 
And so we need to change the Bible to fit the culture. But let me just say, God doesn't change. Culture changes. God doesn't. So in the foundation text, Paul begins in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Again, for those that haven't bought into Jesus Christ, they think you're a fool. They think you're an idiot. They think you're simple-minded. You know, it's just a crutch. But it says, but to us who are being saved, it's the very power of God. You know, what they're calling foolish literally saved our life. I mean, this stuff works. It really works. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I'll frustrate. And that's what's happening. Everyone's saying, this is the way to do it, yet nobody's happy. Nobody's happy. Our, our, our country emotionally and psychologically is in the worst condition we've ever been. When you've got seven and eight-year-olds struggling with clinical depression and anxiety, how many know what we're doing is not working? It's not working as a society. And it's simply because God says, I'm going to frustrate the intelligence of the intelligence. It's not that God's frustrating us to be mean. It's just that when you violate his principles, you end up frustrated because it doesn't work. Try everything the world has to offer. You'll be bad because you'll discover you're not going to find hope. You're not going to find answers out there. So God kind of teasingly goes on to say, where's the wise man? Where's the guy who had all the answers? Who thought he thought he knew the right way to do it. Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Again, what that means is the dumbest thought God ever had is a million times smarter than the most brilliant thought we ever had. That's simply what God's way works. Buy into God's way. It's going to lead you to life. It's going to lead you to peace. It's going to lead you to rest for the soul. If you keep buying into the world's way and culture's way of doing things, you're going to end up frustrated. And that's where people are at today. People are frustrated because they've bought into the world's way. So week one, we talked about ancient family. You know, I got a popular television show today called Modern Family, which is a total perversion on what God created family to be. And what we need to do is go back to ancient family principles. Because they work. They work. They lead you to life and peace. Ancient families do things differently. And what we've been doing last week and the next two weeks is dealing with the three biggest issues of society, pride, greed, and lust. Pride, greed, and lust. Every, just about everything that we struggle with in society falls into one of those three categories. And just to review, there's a spirit behind each one of those. There's a spirit trying to propagate each of those into our culture and literally undermine us and destroy us and, and just deteriorate the foundation that we stand on. <clears throat> and so what we want to do is learn how to break these three spirits. And it, you see them all throughout Scripture, from the very first sin in the Garden of Eden to the temptation of Christ. What did Satan do? Satan tempted him with pride, greed, and lust, all three of those in the three temptations of Christ. First John puts it like this in, in, in chapter 2. He says, do not love the world. And, and again, that's my challenge to you. Don't love this world. It's going to leave you frustrated. It's going to leave you hurt. Don't, don't love this world or the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only, and again, here's the three things that the world offers. And everything we deal with falls into one of these three categories. It offers only a craving for physical pleasure. There's lust. A craving for everything we see, there's greed, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These aren't from the Father, but from this world. And the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Basically, if you'll buy into God's way of doing stuff, there's life, there's peace, there's rest for your soul. 
There's eternal life. If you keep buying into the world's way, and the problem is the church today is really no different than the world in almost every category. I mean, we date like the world. We marry like the world. We have the same divorce rate like the world. Why? We're getting the same results because we're doing everything the same. We're not doing it differently. And we need to make some decisions as people of God that I'm not going to try to change the Bible to fit my lifestyle and to fit my culture here in 2014, but I'm going to change my life to to live in line with God's word because God's word is going to bring me life and peace and hope and rest for my soul. So let me show you again the three little G gods that we're dealing with, the three spirits in our culture today, Psalm all throughout the Bible, and they're still in our culture today. The first one was Baal. Baal's the god of power or pride. Uh, today we're dealing with Asherah or Ashtora. It's the god of pleasure or lust. It was actually a female deity, a goddess. It was the goddess of sex. They literally go to church and worship through temple prostitution. That's, that's how it happened. And then Mammon, which we're dealing with next week, which is the god of possessions or the god of greed. So again, Asherah. Ashtora throughout scripture. Either one, it's the same kind of spirit. It's, it's this God of lust, whatever, whatever, whatever you want to do, whatever you crave, whatever urge you have. And again, as we get into this message, you have to understand that Paul's dealing with people, a city that would literally go to church and worship through prostitution. That's, they would go to church, pay prostitutes, and that's how they would worship. That's the culture he was dealing with. And that culture began to affect the Christians of that community. And Christians would begin to buy into the lie of culture and begin to, and begin to change their life to fit in to where culture was at as opposed to being a standard that was different than the culture they lived in. And so the God of Asher is basically a God of if it feels good. If it feels good. If it feels good, do it. I mean, if you've got the urge and you got the feeling and whatever you want to do and your body craves it, I mean, you need to satisfy the cravings of your body. You need to satisfy. God gave you these urges and you got to go satisfy these urges. So if it feels good, do it. So the question is, how do we break the spirit of Asherah? Well, the Bible, uh, I'm going to take you to Romans chapter one, because the Bible actually predicts that there would be a generation that would literally buy into these spirits, that would literally serve and worship these spirits, that, that would buy into to the culture and the world's way of doing it, that, that would leave God's way and buy into the world's way of doing it. And I think we're that generation. I mean, if you look at America, 86% of Americans claim to be Christian. And look at our nation. Do you think if 86% of Americans really bought into God's way of doing things, our country would look the way it looks today? I mean, obviously not. So look at this. Here's the prediction made 2,000 years ago. Romans chapter 1. They knew God. Let that soak in for a moment. They knew God. They had some form of relationship with God. They had some form of, of, of going to church and, and knowing who he is. They, they had some form of knowing God. These aren't unbelievers here. I mean, I mean, these are people who went to church. They knew God, but look at the distinction. But they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. Like they knew him, but they wouldn't worship him as God. 
and again, worship isn't singing. Worship isn't what we just did when we had, you know, a, a couple songs that we sang together. Worship is when you bow down to somebody greater than you. Worship is actually when you buy into his way of doing things. That's what worship is. Worship is buying into God's way. Worship is you're right, I'm wrong, I'm following you. That's what real worship is. And yet we have people all across America who show up to church every single week that won't buy into God's way of doing it. That that won't bow down and worship him as God. That, That haven't got to the point where they say, listen, you're right, God. And if there's any changing that needs to happen, I'm not going to try to change you to fit into my life. I'm going to change my life to to fit into your way. Paul goes on to say, and they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. That's America. I mean, why do you think you get to define God? Well, I, I don't like this part of God, and I don't like that part of the Bible, and that's kind of offensive, and, and well, that's got to be outdated, but I like this part of God. I mean, he's, he's nice over here, and, and, and look, look how good he is over here. Why do you think you get to define him? Why do you think you get to recreate God in your image? Why, why do you think you get to decide the type of God you serve? He, he knows who he is, and he told us who he is. Who are you to change that? And then it says, as a result, as a result, there's always going to be a result. There's going to be a result if you buy into God's way. There's going to be a result if you reject God's way. There's always going to be an outcome. If you don't follow God, there's going to be an outcome to it. And we see the outcome in many people's lives around us. It says, as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Dark and confused. Exactly where our culture is at today. People are dark. They're confused. We got we got Christians that are confused. Confused. Don't really know what to believe on, on certain issues. Confused, dark. Why? Because we're not buying into God's way of doing it. I mean, look at our culture. There are 17,000 sex scenes on television every single year, and 91% of them out are, are out of marriage. What are they trying to tell us? What are they trying to communicate to us? What are they trying to teach us? See, we're dark. We're confused. You know, you know the pornography industry in America today or in the world today has the equal revenue to Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL, and NHL hockey combined. Combined. We're dark. We're confused. And then he goes on to say, claiming to be wise, like we got all the answers, we're smarter, we're progressive now, they instead became utter fools. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. And that's what we're going to talk about today, lust, sex. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They traded God's way of doing things in the area of sex for a lie. For a lie. What are the lies? What are those lies? That's what I want to answer with you today. What are the lies of culture? There's three big lies that culture has told us about sex. So this is what it is. So what are the lies? Sex is, first off, an animalistic action. An animalistic action. That's the first lie of culture. 
Culture wants to convince you that it's just, you, you got these urges and you just got, just like an animal, you just got, a, you got these feelings, you've got these urges and you just need to, you know, be natural and, and, and satisfy your urges and satisfy your feelings. I want you to remember, you can't trust your feelings. Remember week one, your feelings will lie to you. Since when do we allow our feelings to be the gauge for how we live our life? If, if I lived my life based on my feelings, I wouldn't be your pastor right now. I mean, if I let my feelings control my life, I'm just being honest with you. When do we trust our feelings? I mean, even the sex talk we have today, uh, what do we say? We relate it to animals. Let's have the talk about the birds and the bees because we're just animals and we just got these feelings and we can't control these feelings and you got these urges. So we'll just teach you how to do it safe. And that's the answer. We'll teach you how to do it safe because you've got these feelings and you're an animal and you can't control it. You just got to go satisfy these lusts. You know, I grew up in Texas and in Texas, hunting is a big thing. You know, people love to hunt. And the goal of hunting is you want to get the big buck deer. You want the deer with all the points, you know, like a 12-point, you know, 14-point deer. Because the more points the deer has, the smarter the deer is and the longer he's been alive because he hadn't gotten shot yet. I mean, you don't want a baby deer with no horns because it doesn't, doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for the sport. I mean, you want the deer with the points, the buck. But they're smart. See, what happens is they don't come out in the open field. They, they stay behind the tree line hidden. They just stay back there and they're watched. They're smart. I mean, the little baby deers, they'll run out in the field and, and, and they'll just oblivious to everything. I mean, there's hunters all around. They're just oblivious. And, and for the most part, they're safe because the hunters aren't looking for a baby deer. And even the fawn will come out and, and she knows she's safe because, you know, again, they're looking for the points. They're looking for the buck. That's, that's what they're looking for. But the buck's smart. I mean, he stays behind the tree line. He doesn't come out until the rut. And you ask, what's the rut? Well, anyone that knows about hunting knows what the rut is. The rut is a season where the female deer uh, releases and emits these, these, these scents that says, I'm in heat. I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm going to mate. I want to have a baby. I'm ready. And when that scent gets in the air and that buck gets in the rut, he gets dumb. I mean, he forgets all, he throws all, I mean, where are you at, girl? Where are you at, girl? Where are you at? I mean, he's like, he's white out in the open. He don't care about anything anymore. He just wants to find that girl. And bam, he ends up a trophy on the wall. And that's exactly what Satan's trying to do with some of us today. We get in this rut and we get in this place where I've got these feelings. I've got these urges. I can't control myself. I'm like an animal. I just got to go find, where's that girl? Where's that girl? And then bam, you end up a trophy on the wall. And it ends up destroying and ruining your life. You're not an animal. You're not an animal. You don't live according to your feelings or your urges. Here's the second lie that culture is telling us about sex. It's a recreational activity. It's no big deal. It's sport. It's fun. Just go. It's, I mean, just a, it's just a one night. It's not a big deal. I mean, you're not, you're not doing anything. So you're just having fun. It's entertainment. It's, it, it's just sport. Now, you need to know this, this is much, much bigger than physical. This is much. Uh, we had one of the top psychologists in the nation visit our church last night with one of her friends, and she's in town speaking at a big conference and has written books. After I got done speaking, she came up to me after the service, and she goes, I got all the medical science to show that there is no such thing as casual sex. 
I mean, doctors have now proven there is no such thing as casual sex. Because there are things much deeper than the physical connecting when you have sex with someone. So you think it's just for fun and it's just a one-night stand and it's not a big deal and everyone else is doing it. Culture is lying to you. And this brings me to our third point. Because it is a spiritual act. It's not just a physical act. And the biggest lie of culture is it's an isolated event. It's an isolated event. Just a one-night stand. It's no big deal. You're never going to think about it again. Just have fun. It's not, it's not going to go with you in the future. It's isolated. I mean, culture has actually spent money on this lie. I mean, you see advertisements on television. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. No, that's a lie. What happens in Vegas goes home with you. It goes home with you. See, culture is spending money to get you to buy into the lie that sex is an isolated event. But it's much, much deeper. And how do I know? I've been in ministry for 20 years. Nine times out of ten, when somebody comes up to me and says, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. Nine times out of ten, it's a sexual issue. They were either abused as a child. They either made some mistakes. They either gave away their virginity. They either got themselves involved in some type of sex addiction. And it's destroying their life. Nine times out of ten, because it's not an isolated event. It goes with you. It goes with you. I mean, why do you think sexual abuse, even the secular world now agrees that sexual abuse is so much worse than physical abuse? Like, like you say, well, well, you know, just abuse is just authority letting you down. Well, all of us have had authorities let us down, but why is it when it's in sexual nature, it's so much more painful, it's so much more difficult, and it's so much deeper than anything else? Because it's not just physical, there's a spiritual connection happening every time you get involved sexually with somebody. And you are literally ripping pieces of your soul apart, which is going to really damage and destroy your future. See, real love is not not satisfying a feeling or satisfying an urge. Real love is fulfilling intimacy. And you need to understand, whenever you do acts to try to fulfill that desire outside of the intimacy God intended it to have, then you are destroying your ability to even have intimacy. I mean, that's why we have people today medicated just to do it at all. Because they've destroyed the intimacy their entire life. They've destroyed the intimacy of it. And, and, and now, now they need medication to do it. And the problem is the church's response for years has been, don't. Don't do it. Don't have sex. Don't, don't do it. And that's all the church has said. And that's not the answer either. Because in fact, God actually has a lot to say about sex in the Bible. It's a gift. He created it. Don't talk about it. Don't talk. No, 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 no. See, here's the lie. God wants to sterilize sex to boredom. If you do it God's way, if you follow God, you're signing up for a boring sex life. That's God's plan for you if you follow God. And that's a lie. That's a lie. The Bible is a lot to say. Why? Because God created it. It wasn't the devil's idea. God's the one that put the pleasure. It wasn't like God was walking through the Garden of Eden one day and Adam and Eve were over in the bushes and God was like, oh my, oh, or, oh my God. <laughs> I mean, 
The, the entire reason this message is PG-13 today isn't because of the world's side of it. It's God's side of it, people. I mean, when you read what God has to say about it, that's what makes this message PG-13. Look, look at this with me in Proverbs chapter 5. And let me preface this by saying, anytime uh, the Bible talks about the male reproductive organ, it always refers to it as a spring. Anytime it talks about the female reproductive organ, it always refers to it as a well. That's just you know some of the symbolism of the Bible. Proverbs 5, it says, drink water from your own well. Drink from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. I mean, God's saying, listen, this stuff is fun. I created it, but it works with parameters. It works with parameters. One man, one woman in marriage. One man, one woman in marriage. Anything outside of that is broken and empty and will leave you hurting in sin. See, God wants you to enjoy this gift, but God gives you parameters so that you can enjoy it to the full. See, Satan's goal for your life is to get you to have all the sex you can before you're married, and then to get you to stop having sex after you're married. And if you look at the statistics in America, he's succeeding. Because there's a lot of married couples out there not doing anything. Because they destroyed all the intimacy before they were married, and now they don't enjoy it after they're married. God's saying, no, 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 protect this thing before you're married. Protect it. Then, once you get married, you'll be able to enjoy this the rest of your life. I'm telling you, teenagers, 50, 60 years is a lot more fun than a couple years now. If you'll protect it. If you'll make a decision to protect this thing in your life. And then he goes on to say, Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Never share this with strangers. I'm telling you, young people, there are adults here today that if they could right now, they would shout amen. They would, but it would be too painful and too embarrassing for them. Because they know what I'm saying. Because not one person here has ever said, if I had one more sexual encounter when I was younger, my life would be better today. I mean, they're dealing with the damage because of the choices they made when they're young. And let me just say, for those of us, because this message is is difficult for me, because this is the area of my life, I've made more mistakes than any other area. I did absolutely everything wrong, and I'm fighting for people not to do what I did, because I paid a heavy price in my life, a heavy price, because violating these areas. And I wish to God I had somebody that loved me enough and I was your age to preach this message to me, to challenge me to make a commitment. He goes on to say, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. That's God, everybody. Somebody should shout amen right now. There's like nervous laughter in here, nervous laughter. I get it. Because may you always be captivated by her love. That word captivated is the word intoxicated. Why be captivated by my son, by an immoral woman, or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path that he takes. That means if you don't want God in your life, that doesn't make him go away. Like if you don't want God watching, that doesn't make him go away. Because he examines every path. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. And that's exactly what some of the adults here would tell you. 
the sins of their youth have, are now strangling them. They're now, they're now fighting in their marriage because of decisions they made before they were married. They're now struggling with intimacy issues in their marriage today because of decisions they made before they're married. And if they could tell you to fight for this area, protect yourself in this area, because if you don't, it'll be, it'll be ropes that strangle you. And let me just say, there is hope. There is healing. God can break soul ties in your life. God can heal and restore. But you don't need to go through the, the pain and the baggage if you haven't gone there yet. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of great foolishness. All right, so let's say all of us have some level of involvement in this area. All of us have made mistakes. Um, And and so there's hope for every person here. There's absolute hope for every person here. So let's talk about breaking the spirit of Asherah. Jeremiah 6, 16. This is the, 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 the... the question that we've posed every week. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Stand at the crossroads. What are the crossroads? Well, anytime you've got a pastor telling you, be pure, live right, and then you've got your friends telling you, man, everyone's doing it. It's not a big deal. We had a, we had a 21-year-old girl here last night at church who's in college, and she's a virgin, and she said, I feel like a freak, like, like there's something wrong with me because I'm the only one that's a virgin, yet she's the only one with about, without scars and emotional issues and all sorts of baggage and hurt. I mean, when you're standing at these crossroads, it says, ask for the ancient path. Ask where the way is good and walk in it and you're going to find rest for your souls. That's what I'm fighting for today. I'm fighting for your soul to find rest so you don't have all the the baggage, all the issues, all the scars, all the hurt. I'm fighting for your soul. My job is to be your pastor. It's to get you to lie down in green pastures, to, to refresh your soul in God's way is rest. It's not restrictive. It's rest. God's not trying to take the fun out of your life. He's trying to protect you so that you can enjoy it your entire life. And remember, this was a generation that literally went to church and worshiped God through temple prostitution. So so Paul goes on to say in chapter 6, do you not know? To which they would have said, no, we don't know. No one's ever told us. And this is the first time they're hearing this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself. Your body is a holy place. Christ dwells in you. God doesn't dwell in this building. He dwells in you. You're the holy place. You're the member of Christ. This building isn't a sanctuary. Your body is the sanctuary. See, people come into church and say, well, well, pastor, we need to make the building holier. We don't need to make the building holier. We need to make you holier. God doesn't dwell in the building. He dwells in you. He is in you. You are the holy place. I mean, people walk into church and they, they take off their hat and they get quiet and they, they try not to curse when they're in the church building and they, and they treat the church building like it's holy. But God's saying, no, 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 no. Don't treat the church building like it's holy. Treat yourself like you're holy. And you say, well, I wouldn't have done some of the stuff with my body if I'd known I was the holy place. Exactly. They didn't know. They didn't know. And then he goes on to say, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Now, this word unite would have been shocking to them. I mean, it doesn't shock us because we, really, we don't really get what it's saying. But the word, the word he's using in the Greek literally means to permanently fuse together at the deepest level. 
When you have sex with somebody, it's not an isolated event. It's not a a recreational activity. It's not just fulfilling an animalistic urge. You're literally fusing yourself together with them at the deepest level. That's why people who had multiple partners before marriage have an incredibly difficult time having intimacy in marriage because because if they haven't been healed and if they haven't broken those soul ties from their past, then they're bringing like 20 people to bed with them every night and there's no intimacy. Because you're literally fusing yourself together with people. It goes on to say, never do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body. And again, this explains a lot. This is why sexual abuse hurts so bad. And why, why did God create it this way? Because he wanted to put the beauty in marriage. He was wanting marriage to be beautiful. He he was never intending the world to pervert this and make it so painful. He was intending marriage to be beautiful. So Paul quotes the original mention of sex in the Bible. He says, For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Basically, the, 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 the sex is uniting. He goes on to say in verse 18, Flee from sexual immorality. Run. Don't stay. Run. And again, the parameters are one man, one woman in marriage, in marriage, one man, one woman in marriage. Anything else is wrong. Anything else is going to leave you frustrated and hurt. And as a society and as a culture, we've just learned to live with it. I mean, this is just our culture. This is just where we are. No, don't manage immorality in your life. Run from it. Don't manage it. Run from it. It goes on to say all other sins. Yes, all other sins are bad. God doesn't like him. They'll hurt you. But they're different. All other sins are different. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. You don't make God matter. You simply mess yourself up worse. See, God doesn't get more mad at you because you sin sexually. You're just messing yourself up worse with sexual sin. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Again, you're the holy place who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. And now he gives us the best answer, the best advice, and how to break the spirit of Asherah in our life. And this is the fill in the blank. And the end of the verse is, therefore, honor God with your body. Honor God. God with your body. Last week we said honor God with the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath day holy. This week it's keep your body holy. Honor your God with your body. I'm going to live like God's always in me. I mean, you need to live every day like God is inside of you. I'm not going to do anything more with my body than I would do in this place right now. Because we have this idea that this place is holy. We got we, we to act right when we're at church. No, no, you need to act right all the time because God's in your body all the time. And I get the fact that today I stirred up some stuff. I know it. I know there's some people here today that have made some mistakes in their life. And you're not happy right now. This, is, this has been a pretty painful message. I get it. I, I'm in your shoes with you. I don't like this message because I have a lot of regrets in my life. I've made a lot of mistakes in this area. I've done everything wrong. And I've paid a heavy, heavy price as a result. And so for some of this message, for some of us who really needed this message when we were young, we're hurting right now. But I want you to know there is grace, 
There is forgiveness. There is healing. God can restore your innocence. God can restore your purity. And he can help you. But you're going to have to take some steps. So let me give you three steps in closing. First, we need to repent, number one. We need to repent. And repent isn't getting on your knees, crying before God. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. God, that's not repentance. Repent in the Greek is the word metanoia, which means change your mind. You need to change your mind. You need to change your mind about some of the stuff you're looking at on the Internet. And it's an addiction, and it's hard to walk away, and we've got programs to help you walk away. But it's not going to be easy, and you're going to have to change your mind to get accountable. You're going to have to change your mind to talk about it. You're going to have to change your mind to to, to put some some policies in your life. You're going to have to change your mind about some of the relationships you're in. Some of you are living together, and you're not married. You need to repent and change your mind about that stuff because it's not God's best for your life. And you got to repent. you got to change your mind. I'm not going to decide myself what's right for my life. God's made it clear. I'm going to make a commitment to keep God's standard in my life, and I'm not going to allow my emotions to make decisions for me. Paul has to deal with this again in the next letter to the church of Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul goes on to say, Therefore, come out from among the unbelievers. Come out from among the world's way of doing it. You've bought into the world's way of doing it. Come out. And what that basically means is, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? Not, Not what I'm telling you. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? What area of your life is the Holy Spirit pinpointing right now inside your soul saying you need to come out from that? You need, to, you, need to, you need to repent of that. You need to stop that. You need to change in that area. He'll give you the power. He'll give you the resources. We've got, we, we've got programs here to help you with whatever it is. Come out and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I'll welcome you. Here's the second thing you need to do. Receive forgiveness. Some of you need to be healed. Some of you have made some mistakes. Some of you right now, you're struggling in your marriage because you're not, and you're not living in sin. It's like you're not addicted to pornography and you're not, you guys aren't, you know, cheating on each other, but there's no intimacy. And the reason is because you had multiple partners before you got married and you never broke those soul ties. You never broke those soul ties. You've never allowed God to heal you in that area. And now the marriage is complicated and you're having intimacy issues and struggling because you never got healed. And we've got, again, you need to join a life small group this fall. One of the great things about life, our living in freedom every day small group, is we will walk you through step by step how to get delivered. We have a whole session on breaking soul ties, on getting healed in this area. I mean, we deal with a lot in that course, but we have an entire session on dealing with this area of your life, on really helping you get the forgiveness. Because here's the thing, shame and guilt will keep you in bondage. If you live in shame and you live in guilt, you're not going to break free of sin. You need to understand God has grace. God will forgive you. And not only will he forgive you, God will cleanse you and he'll remove the memory of it. Look at Isaiah chapter 1. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are like red crimson, I will make them white as wool. The shame is going to keep you where you're at. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. If you'll receive forgiveness, you can be cleansed. You can be healed. You can have soul ties broken off your life. And then here's the third thing that I'm challenging you to do. Reorder your life. Reorder 
order your life. I mean, whatever that means, get a filter for the internet. Get an accountability partner. I have an accountability partner I meet with every week. I met with him yesterday morning. And we, he asks me tough questions. He challenges me. It's not always fun. It's not always pleasant, but it's something I desperately need in my life. Change your plans. To me, you're planning a business trip and you know someone's going to be there. And you need to cancel it. And if it means losing that contract and losing that deal, you need to cancel it. See, this message isn't enough. Asherah's coming back. Don't, 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 don't think this, this one message is going to save your life. It's not. Asherah's coming back. If you don't reorder your life, if you don't change some things, if you don't rebuild some priorities in your life, it's not going to be enough. Some of you, you, you may need to quit your job because of an inappropriate relationship at work that you know is going to take you down. Maybe even move out of the city. I would hate to lose you as your pastor, but your marriage is much more important. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Paul says, because we have these promises. What promises? What's he talking about? Freedom, life, peace, rest for your soul. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. See, you have responsibility. The Holy Spirit will help you. God will help you. We have small groups that will help you. But if you don't take the first step, we can't help you get free. Cleanse our souls from everything that can defile our body or spirit. You know exactly what that is. And let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. And let me just say, God's laws aren't for him, they're for you. I mean, again, God didn't say, thou shalt not murder to take the fun out of your life. He's trying to protect you. His ways are not restrictive, they're rest. He put pleasure in sex and he wants you to have it. But he wants it within certain parameters so that you can enjoy it. And you don't have the guilt or the shame attached to it that so many people of our culture are struggling with today. And I'm passionate about this message today because I really feel like I'm fighting for you because I don't want you to make the mistakes that I've made. And I'm challenging the teenagers to make a commitment. We're going to have a, a night in August where my wife and I are going to get together with all the teenagers. We're going to talk about this again. We're going to talk about courting and dating. We're going to have covenants where you have an option to sign a covenant to God that I'm going to be pure before I get married. And even if you've already made mistakes, even if you've already blown it in this area, God can restore your purity. God can restore your innocence. God can heal you and restore. He wants to. He loves you. He has grace. There's no shame or guilt because of mistakes we've made. God will cover it completely, but we need to make some decisions today to live holy, to live pure. To, you know, it, it's the difference between dieting and starving. I mean, let me explain it like this. When you're starving, man, it's like, I am so hungry, I'm going to die, I've got to eat something now. When you're dieting, you have the same hunger pain, but you have willpower and self-control. Why? Because you have a purpose. There's a purpose. In the area of sex, you need to look at it as, are you going to live your teenage years starving? Like, I can't control myself. I need to, I, I, I got to get something to eat now. Or are you going to say, no, I'm dieting until I get married? Because you're going to have the same urge, but if you have a purpose, you can do it. If you understand what God's plan for your life is, is he wants you to protect this area. And, and let, me, let, let me say our single divorce people, this, this is, applies to you. 
not just the teenagers. You say, well, I've already been married. I've already made mistakes. No, 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 no. God doesn't see it that way. God sees you from today forward because he's wiped out yesterday. So you need to let God restore your purity and innocence until if, if God's plan is for you to get remarried, you need God to restore your purity and innocence now. And so here, here's the truth I want to leave you with. Giving up something now for something better later isn't a sacrifice, it's an investment. Giving up something now, giving up sex now before I'm married for something better later, which is incredible intimacy and passion and marriage, that's not a sacrifice, that's an investment. That's an investment. I mean, the reason, I mean, I mean, the statistics are out. The reason so many married couples struggle sexually and don't enjoy it and don't, don't do it often is because they had multiple partners before they were married. Or because maybe it was just them before they were married. But sex before marriage hurts sex after marriage. You're going to be married a lot longer than you're going to be single. Simple math. Do you want to enjoy it for a long time? Or do you want to enjoy it for a short time with a lot of guilt and pain attached to it? So I'm challenging you to make a commitment. Challenge you to make a commitment. I know I've been a few minutes long today. But this is really on my heart because I don't want you to conform teenagers. I want you to be virgins when you get married. And if you've already made mistakes, I want you to allow God to restore your innocence, to restore your purity, to heal you, and make a commitment to stay pure until you get married. Because there's so much grace. I made terrible mistakes in my life. I failed in this area, and I paid a heavy, heavy price as a result. And I don't want you guys to pay that same price. Close your eyes with me. You know, this is a very intense message, but it's so needed right now in our culture, in our world that we live in. So needed. So needed. And, and let me just say, for those of you that may be new to Christianity, or maybe this is your first time at church, or... Maybe you're here today and you're not living a surrendered life to Jesus Christ. His way is best and he loves you. And if you'll make a decision to surrender to him today, it's not going to be a restrictive life. It's going to be a life of rest and peace and peace for your soul and life. And if God cares as much about our life in the area of sex, he wants us to enjoy it with parameters. How much more does God care about you? And so if you need to surrender your life to Christ today, whether it's the first time or maybe you just need to recommit yourself to him today, uh, with nobody looking around, I want to pray with you. You don't have to stand up. You're not going to walk down to the front. You don't even have to pray this prayer out loud. God's listening to your heart right now. You just pray inside your heart today. But if you want to just make that commitment with me, like to totally surrender your life to Christ, just slip up your hand right now and say, I'm going to pray with you this morning. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. And the prayer is simple. Just say, Jesus, I invite you to take first place in my life. I surrender completely to you. Say, Jesus, I changed my mind about the way I'm living. And I ask that you forgive me for the areas I've missed it. And he absolutely will. And then lastly, just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can look up. I just have a moment. If you prayed with me today, I want to encourage you to take one more step. On your connection card, it says, I'm committing my life to Christ or I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. 
check one of those boxes, drop it off one of the tithe and offering boxes you leave. We want to send you an email that gives you a clear path of what your next steps are. Uh, We want to pray for you and just support you in the greatest decision you'll ever make. So take a moment and do that. Stand with me as we close. I just want to pray over you. Teenagers, those of you that are single in here, uh, all of my single people, I want you to go home today and in your Bible or somewhere, just write out, I'm making a covenant with God to remain pure until I get married. I want you to physically write that somewhere today. Physically write that somewhere today. And for those of you that this message really, really hit home, join a life group this fall semester. Life covers just about everything you can imagine, but it'll help you break some soul ties. It'll help you get some healing that you need. It'll help you break some addictions in your life. So join a small group. And, and, if, you're, and if you've already made mistakes, I'm just going to pray that God will restore your innocence and restore your purity. Father, in the name of Jesus. God, for for the many of us here, Lord, that have made mistakes in this area, Lord, there is so much healing and grace and love available. You're not mad at us. You don't hate us. You're You're not looking at us like we're freaks. You're actually looking at us with so much love and so much compassion, and you're just waiting for us to open ourselves up to you, for you to completely heal us and completely forgive us, where we don't have to live our life with any condemnation or any shame, because your plan for our life is forgiveness. You don't want us to live feeling like we're, we're dirty and, and, and broken because of the mistakes we've made. You want us to live feeling like we're whole and we're complete and we're forgiven and we're loved. And so right now, pour your grace out in this room for every person that has made mistakes in these areas and just cover them right now completely. Let them know how much you love them. Let them know that you'll take the shame away. You'll take the condemnation away. And you'll replace it with love and holiness and healing. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.